Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 Podcast, your weekly explanation of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters through the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. The 1973 Justice League Justice Society crossover team-up is on the horizon. It looms ever closer. And the 1973 crossover is famous because it revives characters previously published by Quality Comics and creates a new superhero team around them called the Freedom Fighters. Yes. We're looking forward to it very much. And in the spirit of our Seven Soldiers episode during the summer, we're doing a few episodes where we introduce ourselves, acquaint ourselves with the characters who are going to become the Freedom Fighters and do some stories featuring them so we're all a bit more familiar with them before we start. Now, obviously, last week we did our very enjoyable, well, we enjoyed recording, oh, absolutely, yes, yes, great fun. Our Human Bombs episode. Or is it Human's Bomb? Hmm. Discuss. Um, Human's Bomb plus Bomber. Yes. Anyway. There you go. But this week and next week, we're going to do some stories in the sort of tried and tested, you know, twists and legacy that we like to do to get used to some of the, the other characters. This week's episode, we're going to meet Uncle Sam and the Black Condor. But before we get to the stories featuring Uncle Sam and Black Condor, we're going to do a very interesting piece from issue two of Uncle Sam Quarterly, published on the 17th of December 1941. Very soon indeed after Pearl Harbor. Certainly was, yeah. Gosh, crikey. What, what a week and a half? It's mm-hmm. terrifying yeah. to think about, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Now, Peter has a fascinating fact about Uncle Sam Quarterly. Yes. Uncle Sam Quarterly ran for eight issues, but then from issue nine, it was rebranded as Blackhawk and continued on with that as the main Blackhawk series. I think that's fantastic, that's don't insane. you? Yeah. So that which means that when we did Blackhawk 220 odd issues, those 220 odd issues a couple of years ago, <laughs> yep. that was a continuation of the Uncle Sam Quarterly. So yes. Can you imagine, right, if Green Lantern Quarterly, instead of being cancelled mm-hmm. when Hal Jordan went mad, he <laughs> turned it into a regular monthly book featuring, I don't know, Lobo or Impulse or something. That would be an interesting choice. Can you imagine? <laughs> it's, it seems so bizarre that the fact that they did that. But anyway, to get us back to the point, mm. we're doing a piece, Peter described it in a prep as a poem, really, from Uncle Sam Quarterly, issue two. And there's something very special about this, isn't there? There is indeed. This is the only time in Quality Comics history that the Quality Comics heroes appear to team up together and indeed even just interact with each other. It's very interesting. I mean, is this in the public domain? Can we put this, will we be able to put these entire pages on? We will be putting all these pages up. All the stories we're doing today are public domain comics and are available from the Digital Comic Museum and indeed Comic Book Plus. Good. So there we are. Good. So we'll we'll pause for a sec while you go and log on to either of those websites <laughs> and look up Uncle Sam Courtley. Yes, so we begin with The Villain's Revolt. Now this is basically an illustrated poem, a few verses with drawings beside them. So we'll see how we get on. The Villain's Revolt is sort of there in a nice big caption. Um, and there's a sort of subheading which says, Who swiped my comic book? And there's a sort of insert of Uncle Sam. That young old face and little white chin beard and his Yankee Doodle hat, and he's saying, tisk, tisk, tisk. And the piece begins with, I suppose, it must it's almost a sort of generic cartoon sort of bad guy. He's wearing a purple yeah. suit. He has a swastika armband. He has a horrible hooked nose. He has a big cape and a big hat. And the hat is something, uh, has a mortgage deed tucked into it. He's green skin, a big moustache, big ears, what looks like a false prosthetic nose. Maybe it's just the way it's, it's shaded. Dark green hairy hands. There are nails in the soles of his boots. He's a pistol and a holster at his waist. Grotesque, and he's carrying the sign that says, The Villain's Revolt, who's wrote my comic book. And the poem begins. Oh, hark to the tale of the terrible crime, which eclipses all things from the dawning of time. How the fiends from comic books leapt from the page and ploughed under the heroes in terrible rage. Now in comic books, the hero always triumphed over crime, and the nasty villain suffered, and the world was all sublime. Oh, the ladies cheered their hero, and the crowds let out a roar, while the good guy smacked the villain through a triple-plated door. And the illustration which accompanies this verse, listeners, features a character called Hercules, who appears to just wear blue shorts and blue boots and a little red collar with a blue cape, punching this green-skinned, yellow and purple-clad body through, indeed, a triple-plated door. His knife goes flying. He doesn't look too happy. But the cheers had sunk to whispers. The crowd stood all aghast, and the hero gaped astounded, because the worm had turned at last. For the villain flaunted custom as he rose from out the fray. Balled out the hero soundly and indignant stalked away. And it gets a bit meta here because this illustration shows the, the green-skinned, mustachioed, purple-wearing baddie holding up a hand to Hercules as if to say, you know, what? And indeed we see in this panel the villain saying, 
Hold on. We villains have been taking it long enough. I quit. And we see him leaving the comic book, walking off, leaving Hercules just raising his arms in surprise. Gasp. All very meta. He then called a strike of villains all the heroes had no foes. While the comic artist pleaded, the villains picketed in rows. Then the super fiend decided that to cap his victory, he would kidnap all the artists in the comic factory. Yes, and this illustration shows a comic artist being pummeled as he sits at his drawing board. And what looks like military figures and a lot of other villainous looking characters, some of whom may have well appeared in quality comics, mm -hmm. but we haven't had the time or the resources to actually dig out. But there's someone who looks kind of like Morticia from the Adams family. Yeah. There's a big brutish man in a purple military uniform with gold epaulets. There's another guy at the front who looks a bit more Axis in his inclination. And they're all carrying signs that say things like, curses, unfair to organise villains. <laughs> We've taken it in the chin long enough. Yeah, we quit, me too, etc. And the next verse reads as so. Then he outlawed things like heroes, made the fiends the super race, threatened death to all cartoonists if they drew a handsome face. So the heroes lost their power. All the fiends were overjoyed, and the erstwhile mighty heroes joined the ranks of the unemployed. <laughs> this is great. We see a few comic artists, a line of them in fact, all tied to their desk with ball and chains, and the big green-skinned villain looming over them. And we see a queue of superheroes walking past a sign that says Breadline. Now at the front is the aforementioned Hercules. Behind them is the red-hooded figure of Neon the Unknown, who we will see again far in the future in the pages of All-Star Squadron. Yes. Behind him is Quicksilver, a.k.a. Max Mercury. And behind him is the Ray, the Ray who we'll meet properly next week. But he's the, the all-in-gold with the fin on top chap from the Freedom Fighters. So you probably, if you listen to this podcast, you're going to know who the Ray is. And there's a few other chaps behind the Ray who we're not too sure who they are, to be honest. The next verse reads, When the children of the nation saw the heroes in this plight, it destroyed their faith in goodness, and they started into fights. Then they wouldn't eat their oatmeal, and the good kids pined away. Well, the tough ones just got tougher. Yes, sir, crime was here to stay. Yes, and the accompanying illustration just shows a few very like Jack Kirby street kids gang characters just sort of fighting each other. There's a couple of little boys fighting, a couple of little girls rolling about on the ground, pulling pigtails and throwing dollies. One kid smoking a cigar by the looks of it, Gosh. and someone else bawling their eyes out because their bowl of oatmeal has been upended in the ground. The next verse reads... So the schools all closed their portals, for the kids just wouldn't go, and the villains ruled the country. Oh, it was a bitter blow. Then our Uncle Sam took notice, and he said, This mustn't be, for these things can't be permitted in this land of liberty. The illustration to accompany that verse shows Uncle Sam resplendent in his red and white striped trousers and blue tailcoat and Yankee Doodle hat and bow tie, shoving a very tough looking kid out the way, and he walks past a building which has closed written on it. The next verse reads, So he smashed into the workshop in the comic factory and he cried, See here, you scoundrel, you just listen here to me. Now you liberate these artists and be quick about it too, for the country's in a nasty state and all because of you. Presumably, yes, indeed, the building that was closed was where they make the comics because we can see the illustration for this verse. He's Sam approaching a building with comic book factory written on it. I'd like to work there. And there's another accompanying image of Sam punching through a big iron door and punching the green-skinned, moustachioed, purple-hatted villain who's been the, the menace all the way through this, squaring the jaw sending him flying. The next verse. But the villain merely snickered as he twirled his black moustache and by pushing down a lever caused machinery to clash. Then a copule snagged a coattail. Swish, our uncle disappeared. Through the eye machine he hurtled, how the villain snarled and sneered. And that's basically what we see. We see Sam's coattails getting caught. Well, looks it's kind of like a big fancy mangle. Mm -hmm. And then Sam popping out the other end. And it seems like his trousers and his clothes are now covered in eyes. It's the only way I can put it. As I say, these yeah. pages are going up, so you'll be able to have a look for yourself. Sam doesn't look too happy. The next verse. When he leaped upon the villain and they rolled about the floor, while the lettering contrivance splattered ink in every pore, then the super clean-up gadgets grabbed them both and sucked them in. Gave them both an awful scrubbing, wore their britches pretty thin. Down the room they slammed and tumbled through the colouring machine, bounded into the idea gadgets, painted up a pretty green. Both contestants were all tattered, had the blows they took and gave. Though our Uncle Sam was winning, still the fiend would not behave. And the accompanying images basically just show Sam battling with the green baddie, falling into ink and then falling through other machines as described. You'll be able to see these on the socials. They'll do a much better job than me attempting to describe it, to be honest. And we reach the final page. So our hero slammed the villain and he fell into a slot. Then the thing that cleans up errors put the villain on the spot. For the ink eraser ground him to a smudge upon the floor. Then the white paint smoothed it over and the villain was no more.
Yes, we see Sam knocking the villain into another mangle-type squeezing device and then almost like a mechanical arm attached to a wall with a brush at the end, painting over him with the white paint as it describes, just smooshing him out completely. With the Wicked Fiend defeated and the comic artists free, things were slowly slipping back into the way they used to be. Super guys were reinstated as the Wonder Men of yore, but the thing that worried Uncle was the strike outside the door. Yes. The hero is being revived is illustrated by a nice shot of Black Condor flying past. And we see some artists working. Actually, it seems that they're scooting about in bikes. And one guy seems to be in a toy aeroplane of sorts, as they illustrate. But there's also an aerial shot of Sam's head poking out the chimney of the comic factory, looking at the striking villains who are walking about outside. Sam again shakes his head and says, tisk, tisk, tisk. And the next verse reads. So he gave the fiends a lecture on their status in the land. And he made them think that villains were a necessary band. Because the kids must have their heroes and the heroes must have foes. So the villain should return to work before the trouble grows. A nice shot of Sam lecturing the bad guys. Some real grotesque. You see the woman who I compared to Morticia Adams. She's got green skin. You can see them all their signs. One guy with a very grotesque face holding a sign says, We crooks are being robbed. Another guy looks like a bit more generic bad guy holding a sign saying unfair. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm going to be uncharitable and say the second guy actually looks a bit like me, to be honest. <laughs> if you ever imagine what Dave Steele looks like. But anyway, the final verse. So the villains all returned to work, contented with their lots. And Uncle Sam had kept the land from going all to pots. Now the kids all eat their oatmeal and they go to school in time. And the nasty villains suffer. Now the world is all sublime. And this final verse is illustrated with a cracking shot of the ray punching out someone in a military uniform with a swastika on his armband and some kids eating a rope meal as they run happily to school. The end. That was great. That was. That's, that's just nuts. <laughs> and it's very, very meta. The whole cartoonist on strike. This is, this is way before <laughs> Grant Morrison was even born. Of course. <laughs> it's, you know, it's way before Neil Adams was, you know, mm-hmm. trying to get everyone creators rights and all that in the seventies and yep. getting Schuster and Siegel sorted out. Yep. That's fascinating. Listeners, you, you may have been familiar with it because I've seen it prop up in a couple of pages here and there, but it's definitely worth covering. Oh, and it's just so fun. And it's, it's very different from anything else that's in it because obviously, you know, it is, as you said, an illustrated poem which yeah. you don't really get at all. So it's great. Have you ever considered doing an illustrated comic poem yourself, Peter? I have, actually. Funnily I know. enough. Way. I know, that was a leading question. I know, there you go. Yes, The Lang What Came is my comic poem uh, that's about uh, a drunk man's journey home from the pub one night who finds that he really has to go to the toilets and is in a bit of a predicament. Gets caught short, you might say. Yes, yes. listeners, you should look it up on the socials. We don't promote it on here enough, actually. It's Peter's masterwork. It's genius. <laughs> it's very, very funny. It should, be a, it should be a Hogwarty classic, if you ask me. Should now, be. it's worth pointing out that similar poems also appear in other issues of Uncle Sam Quarterly. Uh-huh. We may do one of those at some point in the future. You never know. Mm-hmm. Aside from the fact it's really nice to see Quicksilver again, that is a bit joyous, really. It's really uh-huh. clever and really funny, and mm-hmm. it really sums up the quality term in a way, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think the term quality is sort of used because they tried to get better artists, and they just wanted mm-hmm. the comics to look as if they were aware of a better yeah. uh-huh. quality. Uh-huh. And this is a nice little, because it's very clever and literate and very funny, and yeah. I suppose in many ways it just shows you how much things have been dumbed down since. I don't know. Mm. Is that too controversial a <laughs> statement? Would you see this in a Brian Bendis comic? No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. What you would have is 18 pages of them all yapping about the strike and all <laughs> such things. And Maybe are. Anyway, so we stay in the pages of Uncle Sam, quarterly issue two, and we move to the, the very next story. So as Peter says, these stories are available online. If you've been able to look them up, read them along, you find it in the very next page. The next story we're going to tackle is called The Fiddler, Fiddler of Death. Death. And if you paid attention to the podcast, you'll know we've done a portmanteau episode on fiddlers before. So Peter, and all he's digging about, decided this is the one we're going to do for Uncle Sam, because yes. he likes to talk about another fiddler. Of course. And essentially Uncle Sam's getting two stories in this episode. So there's a large establishing image, which to use a phrase I use all the time is nightmare fuel. <laughs> there's a, obviously a US military vessel in the background, but there's also in the foreground what looks like apes and gorillas all carrying guns or aiming huge massive cannons. And above it all is a very... Fagan-esque looking figure mm-hmm. in a purple sort of robe and hoods yeah. playing a violin with discordant notes playing out. And we get a caption which is set to music by the looks of things, which reads... 
A master fiend strings his violin and takes up his bow to spell a doom of a nation's defense until Uncle Sam locks in battle with the monster horde as death does a dance to a fiddler's tune. Yes, the fiddler of death. So, a good start, listeners. Take a drink. There's a full moon looming in the background over this large fortress-looking castle-like building. A caption reads, A pale moon shines down on Moorhead Prison, a moon which brings with it a grim message to a condemned prisoner. And inside we see a guard standing outside a cell saying, Get up, Joe! You're going to the state prison to die! Joe is a very brutish-looking man with a shaved head and a thick moustache wearing green overalls. In panel three, he's been taken from his cell. He's being walked along by two guards. Joe is saying, Gypsy never die! I may curse! By the witched blood that flows in my veins, I swear! These hands will kill after I am dead! They will kill! 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 Guards take Joe to the railroad station. Yeah, we see a nice fancy old train. Joe approaching the train. He seems to be on his own here, actually, in Battle <laughs> 4. Doesn't seem to be accompanied at all. But anyway, Joe is saying, Fine collection of peoples! They can live! I must die! And in the next panel, we see a very considerate looking man, long black hair, wearing a neat purple suit and a large blue bow tie with a musical instrument case under his arm and he's kneeling down to a little girl who's presenting him a bunch of flowers. Some flowers for you, sir, says the little girl. This man says, For me? Thank you, child. In the background, we should point out we can see Uncle Sam and his pal Buddy walking past. Buddy's a little boy, kind of blonde hair, and we see also Joe being led towards the train. He's observing what's going on and he remarks, And great violinist with little kid. Boarding the same train are Uncle Sam and Buddy on their way to Washington. Yep, confirms. We see them in the background of the previous one. And they're framed almost by the close-up image of Joe's handcuffed hand attached to the prison guard's hand. And there's real emphasis on how big and brutish Joe's hand is in comparison. Mm -hmm. In the next panel, everyone's on board the train. Left to right in this carriage, we can see Sam and Buddy sitting. Sitting behind Buddy and Sam is the man in the purple suit who had the music instrument case. And behind him is the prison guard and Joe. Uncle Sam very helpfully says to us, Now, if you studied the violin, you could be like Mr. Malvolo. Ah, violin playing is sissy stuff, says Buddy, and that identifies the man behind him as a violin player called Mr. Malvolo, so that's useful. The next panel, we are down low, looking up at a big iron structure of a bridge which the train's speeding across it, the clouds scurrying in the sky over, and from inside we hear Uncle Sam saying, You're wrong, Buddy. Music has great powers. Matter of fact, the greatest of powers. But we also see at the bottom of this bridge, a couple of silhouetted dark figures up to no good. One of them says, Uncle Sam's in that train. Blow it up. Uh-oh. We're back inside the train in the next panel to see Joe ranting in response to what was just said. Ha! Greatest of powers. My hands are the greatest. They can kill. And Uncle Sam, who stands up, hands on his hips, not too impressed with this as he says, Hold on there, mister. As I understand it, you ain't going to kill any more. Seconds later, a blast rents the air. There is a massive boom, and we see the bridge exploding and the train being blown to fragments all over the place. Like a tired giant, the railroad bridge collapses, hurling twisted trains to the gorge below. Mid-smoking wreckage, two powerful arms rip a train's steel sides. Yes, we see Uncle Sam emerging from the wreckage, pushing the piece of the train aside so he can escape. As Uncle Sam carries Buddy to safety, two motionless figures lie amid the tangled wreckage. We can see that the train has been brought down into a river, and floating in the water is the body of Joe. You see a nice shot of his shaved head, and his hand is looming towards his large, grotesque hand. Malvolo is clinging to a piece of wreckage beside him, his hair draped over, obviously not doing very well. From a nearby hospital, doctors speed to the scene on an errand of mercy. Yep, an ambulance can be seen in the background, medical men rushing down towards the wreckage. We see what's left of the bridge up high above, and the caption for the next panel. Siren screaming, an ambulance races with death. It carries Joe Romani and Malvolo. Yes, it's a see what you see caption there, listeners. We see the ambulance speeding away, and another caption sets the scene. At the hospital. Uncle Sam in conversation with the doctor, the doctor says. Romany's going fast. No hope. Malvolo's hands are shattered. I wonder if... You've got to save Malvolo, says Uncle Sam. And the caption for the next panel... The cold eye of a spotlight outlines white masked figures bent over operating tables upon which motionless forms submit to the probing and cutting of surgical steel. 
Kipps does a lot of heavy lifting there. Very economically told. There's mm-hmm. a shot of some surgeons carrying at work under a spotlight. Yeah, that's basically what we see. It's very, very effective. There's a slow dissolve. The next day, as a figure, Malvolo awakens to consciousness. Yes, Malvolo in a hospital bed, being visited by Buddy and Uncle Sam. Malvolo, he looks a little different, but we'll come to that in a second as to why. Malvolo says, You have been very kind. We thought you would like to have your violin, says Sam, bearing the instrument. But then... As Uncle Sam and Buddy leave... Malvolo looks down and says, Yes, I will play again, but whose hands are these? These are not mine! Yes, he's alarmed to see instead of his own familiar hands, he now appears to the hands of Joe Romani. Gosh. The big, thick, hairy hands, not the, the delicate, sensitive fingers of a, a violinist. And then in the final panel of page three, Malvolo says, They're killer hands! Curse them! Killer hands! My life's crushed! Like this violin. And with that, he grasps the violin in his new killer hand and breaks it, crushes it indeed, as he says. Gosh. That moment, the door swings open. A nurse enters. Suddenly, she stares in horror. Yes, the nurse sees Malvolo sitting in his bed. It looks as though his horrible new hands are reaching for her. She exclaims, those hands! She drops the tray she's carrying and falls to the ground. And in panel two, we see the silhouette of Malvolo, who's got out of bed and he strangled the nurse. Malvolo says, No one who looks on them shall live. No one. And there's a vague, ah, from the nurse. And it must be said, the nurse's silhouette is rendered very, very clearly. In panel three, Malvolo stands. He looks appalled and he says, I've killed me. The lover of music and people a murderer because of these hands, cursed hands. I've got to get away. No one must see me. No one. Marvolo streaks down the hospital's fire escape into an alley. And we see him cutting down what actually looks like um, cobbled streets here. And yes, mm-hmm. take a drink. There's a full moon looming in the background. As he cuts along, he's saying, Have to escape. Got to get out of the country. He dashes towards the docks, where a ship raises steam, ready to leave. You hear a voice on the ship crying, All hands on deck! We sail in five minutes! And Malvolo thinks, I'll stow away. They'll never know till we're miles out at sea. Weeks later, the freighter anchors off the South American coast. Yes, a nice aerial shot of the globe showing the, the South American continent. Caption of the next panel. Malvolo has been discovered. Yes, worth pointing out, Malvolo's hair seems to have been cut off. <laughs> it's not the long, luscious locks he had earlier on. I wonder if that was just done at the hospital. Maybe they had to cut his hair before they operated in his Maybe, hands. Maybe, of course. It's standard procedure. I, would, I wouldn't know. Malvolo, wearing purple overalls, is being held by a couple of sailors. The ship captain exclaims, A stowaway! Throw him off, men! Malvolo thinks, Throw me off? Just what I want! And the next panel shows Malvolo's been put in a little boat, set adrift, and we hear the ship's captain saying, And I hope those savages on shore rip you to ribbons! Gosh, now it all gets a bit Tarzan over the next couple of pages, <laughs> listeners, if you ask me. Yeah. Caption for the next panel, As the ship leaves him on shore, Malvolo twists about finds himself attacked by fierce natives. Yes, we see the ship setting sail into the distance in the background, disappearing over the horizon. Malvolo in his purple overalls and his little wooden rowing boat coming up on the beach. Lots of creepers and trees and stuff. And some, let's be honest, some racistly rendered natives running towards him. The first one yells, White man, die! And Malvolo exclaims, What? Savages! In the caption of the next panel. Then with one hand, Malvolo grabs the man-giant. Yes, grabs him round the throat and squeezes him. The native screams, yeah, and his tongue pops out and he's obviously been deadied. Instead of turning on this man with strange hands, the natives cry out, dance about their chief's killer. Yes, Malvolo stands above the, the dead body of the chief. Some others dance around saying things like, He has beaten our chief. Hail to our conqueror. And as a slow dissolve in the caption for the next panel reads, that night, Malvolo occupies the chief's huts. And this panel shows a full moon looming over the hut in the middle of the jungle. Panel three, we see Malvolo, whose hair seems to have returned. Okay. It's the power of killing. Yes. Don't know it's not. Was <laughs> <laughs> that right? If I go out and murder someone, my hair's going to grow back. You don't know until you try. What is Peter leading me to here, listeners? <laughs> Malvolo, exploring, obviously, the hut and sees a very primitive musical instrument lying on the ground. He says, They, they think I'm great. Great, because I can kill. Look, one of the crude violins. I wonder. He picks it up. He's found a bow from somewhere. The full moon limbing in the background, he starts to play. I wonder if these new hands can make beautiful music. 
unseen by Malvolo, a large gorilla ape-type creature looms behind him. Caption of the next panel. Unseen, the ape draws close to Malvolo. Malvolo is saying, it, It's such weird music. Ah, an ape! He's reacting, obviously, because he's seen the creature, but the creature doesn't seem too bothered. A full moon looms in the background as Malvolo continues to play in the next panel, saying, The, the, the music, it stops him. The music's doing things to him. This is very reminiscent of the Tarzan book of so actually, in some ways, <laughs> that had a lot of stuff with huts and people rushing in and out of them. That's okay. The next panel shows the ape leaving the hut and Malvolo's voice from inside. Get out, ape! Get out! An insert panel shows him playing on this new primitive violin. Can there be power in my hands? Power to play tunes that command? I'll try something. So he fiddles away again. Stand before me! Yep, and the ape stops in its tracks, turns around and faces him. He's obeying. I can do things with this savage instrument. Why, I can command the brutal apes of the jungle. The brutal apes of the jungle, of course, didn't support menswear. They were too busy supporting Cooler Shaker that night. Mm. Malvolo beats a path to the jungle and, with his violin, plays a weird melody. A compelling tune that makes slaves of primitive beasts. Yes, a full moon looms in the background as Malvolo plays on his violin and the apes and gorillas dance all around him. Indeed, Malvolo, to reiterate this, says... Dance, you devils, dance! You're my kind, gruesome, fearsome. Gosh. That moment, just off the South American coast, a US destroyer pulls toward shore. On board are Uncle Sam and Buddy on a goodwill tour. We hear Sam's voice. Don't forget, Buddy, that good neighbour policy should mean what it's supposed to mean. You're right. We've got to help our neighbours, not break them. Officials greet the boat, and the mayor tells Uncle Sam a strange story. Yes, the mayor's a chap in a green suit with a red tie and what looks like a yellow hat. He's another moustache. Lots of moustaches around these days. The mayor is saying, Amigos, it is true. There is a man who leads a pack of apes and raids our cities. Hmm, that's so. Maybe I'll look into this, says Sam. Wonder if it could be their imagination. Huh. Well, I'm going ashore. If trouble's about, it ought to strike when I'm around. On shore, Uncle Sam spots a figure leaping into the bushes as he approaches. Yes, no messing about. It's clearly Malvolo. There's a little dust sort of cloud as he speeds and jumps into the, the hedge. Sam says, hey, does my coming scare people? Uncle Sam goes after him. Yeah, and then it looks as though Sam has climbed into a tree and then jumped out of the tree. Oh, very Tarzan. He jumps down on Malvolo, grabs him by the shoulder, saying, come back, you. Let me go. Malvolo was slammed into the ground against the base of a tree trunk in the next panel. Sam regards him and says, Malvolo, you, the famous violinist? Famous. <laughs> Ex-famous. My hands. They're big. Hopefully helping, Uncle Sam takes Malvolo back to the US warship. Hopefully helping. The Montrose Avenue track to in their album was called Helplessly Hoping. So that's quite interesting. Ah. It's obviously a Crosby, Stills and Nash reference. So maybe Crosby, mm. Stills and Nash... Read a copy of Uncle Sam Quartlish, too, who can say, as Sam leads Malvolo back to the US warship, he's saying, Why don't you come back to the States? I can't. They'll all feel sorry for me. A slow dissolve. Aboard the ship. Sam addressing the ship's captain, with Malvolo beside him. Sam says, Captain, you remember the great Malvolo? Sure, welcome. I hope you'll play... Oh, I forgot. Yes. The next panel shows a couple of sailors at work cleaning the floor of the ship. Sam and Malvolo seem to be lurking nearby. Overhearing the sales conversation, the first one says, Sure feel sorry for that guy. And his pal says, See those hands? And the next panel's very interesting. It's a shot of Malvolo looking completely unlike how he's looked in every other panel of the story. <laughs> it's like we see him through a ship's porthole. Must be a dirty porthole. Maybe that's why it's got that strange tint in his face. What's a dirty porthole? An unwashed one. Oh, right. I just thought the way you said it. I just thought you were, I thought you were trying one to... One for Tony Esmond there. <laughs> I thought, is that something from the, the Viz Profanosaurus or something? Port a dirty porthole. <laughs> dirty porthole, good grief. I'm, apologies, Steve Higgins. Anyway, we are made aware of Malvolo's thoughts at this point. Sorry for me? Sympathy? Fools, you've roused the curse. The curse of death. And his hands are given emphasis there. That night aboard the destroyer. That's a nice shot of the ship at sea. But then there's one little man standing... Tell us what's going on with his life right now. Lonely standing guard at this hour. Wish there was someone around. Yes. <laughs> and he gets viciously strangled by Malvolo, who starts climbing up into the, the, I suppose, is it the rigging? I don't know, but he starts climbing up this mast that's nearby, saying, Great hands, they are great. I shall use them again tonight. 
They shall do the deed they were destined to fulfil. And he climbs further, further up. The caption for what, technically panel five, and we're still in the first <laughs> row of page seven, reads, High on the mast, Malvolo draws his bow, his weird instrument playing. Yes. And we hear his maniacal laughter. <laughs> And then the next panel is a shot of the jungle. With a full moon looming, we can see some of the apes and the music starts to play and drift towards them. The caption for the next panel. The jungle empties as ape creatures spring toward the waiting American ships. Yeah, we see the music drifting again. Again, in front of full moon and all the apes moving forward. Guided by the strange tones, the apes clamber up the anchor chains. Yes, see what you see. They smash men and material. The jungle is loose. Yeah, and it's a shot of some sailors fighting the, the mad apes. Apes being fired on by the sailors, sailors being kicked and punched out of the road. The caption for the first panel on page eight reads, Meanwhile, Malvolo heads for Uncle Sam's stateroom. Yeah, we see Sam asleep. Malvolo's silhouette appears in the doorway, looming and saying, Meddling old fool, I'll kill him. And he grabs him in panel two. Sam wakes up and says, Malvolo, hey, you're choking me. <coughs> What's the idea? Have you gone mad? With a pow! Sends Malvolo flying. Gets out of bed. You should see that Sam is wearing a nice little hat in his bed. Buddy's head suddenly pokes through a porthole. Sam is lifting Malvolo up. Malvolo groans and says, oh. Now that you're quiet, Malvolo, talk. What's the idea of all of this? Says Sam. In the background, Buddy, poking his head through the, the portal on the wall, notices one of the apes has arrived at the entrance to Sam's room. As Buddy yells a warning, apes attack. Apes attack, wow. The prequel to Amazon's attack. Prequel to Mars attacks. Yes. Apes attack sounds like the name of a band that would have played third Nobel at King Tuts in 1995 or something, doesn't it? Anyway, Malvolo's on the ground rubbing his head. He stopped me with one punch. Just one. Oh, my head. Sam is punching an ape away with a pow. Buddy strikes another ape on the head with, you know, the handy little bit of metal which he seems to have in his hand, metal bar, and says, Yeah, big ape, get away from Uncle Sam! And he continues in the next panel, Hey, you gorillas, come here and fight! Yep, as Sam punches some of the gorillas and sends them flying to the wall. The next panel, he grabs a gorilla by the neck and slams it into the wall as Malvolo makes his exit. Buddy notices this and says, Uncle Sam, quick, Malvolo's getting away! And in the final panel of page 8, we see Malvolo once again, Climbing up at the top of the ship, saying, Now, now, I'll show them all. I'll play my greatest melody, bring the apes back under control, and wreak the havoc they all deserve. It all starts kicking off in the top of page nine. The caption for the first panel reads, But Malvolo's musical spell is broken. The apes go wild. One of them seizes the helm, and the ship runs aground, smashing full into a snake-infested reef. Yes, CBC captioning. We might put that little sequence on the socials, because it's all very effective. Inset panels and high shots of the ship, and then the ship crash against the reef, and then the caption for the next panel reads... And from the shore, slimy oh. creatures slither up the sides of the vessel. Oh my goodness, this poor man who appears to be poking his head out of a portal has been grabbed and is basically strangled by a snake. Gosh. Oh my goodness... And on the deck of the ship, Sam takes everything in that's going on and yells, Tarnation! The ship's stuck! Hey, buddy, get off the mast! And we see in the next panel, Buddy is cleaning up the rigging after Malvolo, who's still up in the crow's nest, I hope I'm using all the correct terminology, playing his violin and laughing maniacally <laughs> to himself. And Buddy says, I'm coming after you, Malvolo! But then Buddy looks down in the next panel and sees, mm, A snake! Uncle Sam! Help! He's being followed. In the next panel, we see Sam with guns in the ocean behind him, very, very effective, looking up at Buddy and yells, Hold on, buddy. I'll be right up. And runs towards the rigging himself. Buddy yells, He's coming for me. Help! You see the snake rearing up and getting closer. And the caption for the final panel of page nine. As the snake strikes, Buddy is frozen with fear. But just in time, Sam reaches up and grabs the snake, stopping it from striking at Buddy. And Sam says, Come here, you overgrown angleworm. Caption for the first panel of page ten. As Malvolo slides from Danger's path, Uncle Sam grapples with a powerful snake. Yes, as Sam is battling the snake, Malvolo has jumped out of the crow's nest and started sliding down a pole behind him. He hurls it down and its sagging weight shoots hard upon Malvolo's head. Great shot of Sam throwing the snake and the snake colliding with Malvolo, whose hair seems to have vanished again, still holding his violin. Oh, and then horribly, the caption for the next panel. In a flash, the snake squeezes tightly. Life ebbs from the mad violinist. Yeah, the snake has coiled itself around Malvolo in an instant, squeezing him tight, indeed, as the caption says. His, his tongue sticks out, his eyes boggle, and the next panel is down on the ground. The snake continues to coil and constrict. Malvolo gasps. No! No! My pet! Don't! Oh. 
high up in the rigging, Sam and Buddy look down. Sam says, Nothing we can do, Barry. He guessed Malvolo's done for. Caption for the next panel. Suddenly, an ape's scream rends the air. Uncle Sam dives to the aft deck. Yeah, it seems as though he's grabbed a chain or a rope to slide down, land on the deck next panel. Sam picks up Malvolo's weird violin. The apes all stand in circle as Sam starts to play, saying, Only one way to stop these critters. Play Malvolo's fiddle. Something strange and powerful about it. It's gotta work. Driven by the music, the apes leap into the water. They swim toward the mainland. That's what we see, helpfully. Caption for the next panel. Free of the menace, Uncle Sam holds the fiddle. Then... He smashes it on the guardrail beside him, saying, Dang violin, I hope you break into a million bits. You ain't got no right to cause so much trouble. And a slow dissolve. Days later... The boat continuing across the sea, Buddy says quietly. Uh, want me to study the violin, Uncle Sam? I can't hear a word, buddy. Not a word. And that indeed is the, the end. end. Well, that was all very violent, wasn't that was it? ridiculous. What is it about these other fiddlers that make them mega, mega violent? But it's great. So entertaining, though. You know, the, the snake-filled reef? <laughs> snake-infested reef? I mean, gosh. And then the fact that, you know, that man was casually just destroyed and another snake has... Mm-hmm. You know, did it kill any of the apes? You know, is it wet? I'm just like, oh my goodness, just so much. I do love the guard standing, talking to himself, alone on deck, and then getting strangled from behind. That's yes. fantastic. <laughs> he probably did kill him, didn't he? Oh yeah, he's dead. It's an interesting one. There's some really nice panels in isolation, like the ones of the animals being affected by the music. Mm-hmm. The storytelling there is gorgeous. You mm-hmm. don't really need the captions to even tell it. It's yeah. clear what's going on. Uh-huh. Some of the figure work's a wee bit ropey. You could do a, a selection of panels of Malvolo and he wouldn't look the same in, in half of them. That's true. Yeah, he looks very different in pretty much every other panel. <laughs> I guess it's maybe just the, the effect of the cursed hands of Joe Ramone. Could be. Corrupting yeah. him. Mm-hmm. Is it the best Uncle Sam story? I'm not sure. <laughs> but it's another fiddler, I suppose. Yes. It's a throwback to our earlier portmanteau. The Fiddler of Death. Mm. Yeah, and let's be honest, looking back at the image of the fiddler on the first page, that doesn't look anything like Marvolo or whatever he was called at uh-huh. any point, really, does it? No, it's true. He doesn't have a hood up, no. The the weird staring blue eyes look a little different. But I suppose it does show the it shows the apes manhandling the guns and all that. That doesn't really mm. happen either. No. That's the equivalent of a, one of those hammer horror posters that <laughs> makes you think it's gonna be all boobs and fantastic special effects, and you watch it and you go Right, okay. There you go. Not mm-hmm. quite. Speaking of Hammer movies, it's very much a, an old horror trope, having you with the hands replaced and being possessed by the, it's by the killer's hand. Hands of Orlac or something. Yeah, or, uh-huh. or what's that episode from Dr. Horror's House of Horrible uh, with the feet? Feet of Death. Yes. It? Which is fantastic, which, funnily enough, co-stars Jonathan Cake. Who played the Shade so well in Stargirl. That's right. Yes. I remember when I told you that, you were very excited. <laughs> I love the fact that Uncle Sam sleeps in a nightshirt. That's pretty cool. Is it not Voodoo Feet of Death? I think it's Voodoo Feet yeah, of Death. Yeah, something like that, yes. yeah. Yes, uh-huh. yeah, the night shot's really cool, yeah. And the fact that Buddy just happened to stick his head through the wall, it's, you know, you could do a, an absolute page-by-page analysis and just go, mm-hmm. right, this is a bit odd. I mean, the fact that it's so economical that, that Sam finds Malvolo straight away. Yeah. Malvolo spots him first and runs away to hide. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's very economical. No time wasted there, Sam searching the yeah. interior for Malvolo. I was fascinated by the fact that he can he can hypnotise the animals. Yes, that's cool. Is it because of the violin or is it because of his curse or the, the animals susceptible to it? Well, so Sam many man- questions. Well, Sam managed to, you know, fiddle the apes away. Mm. So it could be some <laughs> lingering energy in the violin from the, the evil end. Who knows? I don't know. He, knows? You know. he just smash it up to prevent it being used again. Did Sam use sheer patriotism to <laughs> repel the apes? I think he may well have done. I'm glad that Malvolo wasn't seen being just eaten by the snake. That would have been terrible. <laughs> it's bad enough that he was crushed. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting selection of panels to represent this on, on the socials, listeners. Might put the whole thing up, actually. As I said, it is public domain, so, you know. I'll probably just put a few highlights on mm-hmm. Instagram, but we might stick the full story on Facebook so you can check it out. We should talk a bit about Buddy, because Uncle Sam is a sidekick. Mm. And that's something that is pretty much not referenced at all in, well, since he actually comes back, to be honest, in the Bronze Age. Mm, that's a fair point. All through the Golden Age, he had a, a kid sidekick called Buddy. Yeah. Not even mentioned, as far as I'm aware, in the Stargirl miniseries either. I don't know. I mean, I'm not familiar enough with Sam to know how many stories Buddy was in. 
Oh, he's in a lot, yeah. Is he? Right, yeah. okay. Mm. I suppose he's just some generic little kid that, you know, that kids can sort of imagine was them, I suppose. Yeah, I can't remember the origin of, of Buddy, but yeah. A very grotesque story in places. Mm-hmm. As you say, the horror trope of the transplanted hands, like the panel in the middle of page, the bottom of page three, where he, Malvolo beholds what's happened to him. Yeah. That's a tragedy. Mm-hmm. The, you know, <laughs> that, that old joke, well, Doctor, <laughs> will I still be able to play the violin? Could you play the violin before the, the operation? Well, no. It's, you know, that, the one that I'm mangling, you know, the one, the one I mean. Yes, this was all over the place. Mm-hmm. From train bridges being blown up to mm-hmm. natives and apes and snakes and stuff. Yeah. That panel with him looking at his giant hands kind of like looks a bit Hank McCoyish, doesn't it? It does a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It did remind me of a Tarzan book, though, mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways. The way that the change of locale and the coincidence levels and stuff and yeah. the, the violence as well, to be honest. Yeah. You know, it's very, very of its time, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Always makes you think the comics code had a point. <laughs> when was the last time you saw a bad guy getting killed by a snake? Yeah, not hugely often. You know, or, or falling yeah. at the quicksand or something else. It mm-hmm. feels very, very old school. But still, great mm-hmm. fun. Great fun. Oh, absolutely. That's one of the reasons why I chose this is the Uncle Sam representative story. Yeah. And it was mostly because there's a fiddler in it, which is great. Yes. Yes. Check out our Fiddler's Three episode, folks, if you yes. haven't already. Please do. One of our favourites, one of our absolute mm-hmm. favourites. So. Our next story, we're jumping back in time, actually, a little earlier in 1941 to Crack Comics issue 14, published back in May. Peter's going to tell you about the cover. Yes, it says July number 14, 10 cents at the very top. Crack Comics, quality comic group. Down the left-hand side, we have four circles highlighting some of the characters you'll find in this very issue. You have the clock, alias the spider, Molly the model, and Ned Brandt. Ned Brandt, is that about an uneducated delinquent called Brandt? Could be. Who just bombs around? Could be. That's fascinating. Ned's a Scottish word, listeners, <laughs> for a wee bam, a wee, a wee guy that's just... Anyway. Yes. But the main image on the cover says the Black Condor in another thrilling adventure. And we have the Black Condor indeed. He's flying into action. It looks like it's almost like a, a mineshaft. Kind of. Could there's, be. There's someone manacled to a wooden beam who doesn't look too healthy. Black Condor's flying in, punching a guy who's got a whip. Gosh, this is horrible. Yeah, the, the guy with the whip is hooded and Black Condor's wearing bright lead lipstick. It's almost like, is this Black Condor in the adventure of the, the bondage dungeon? Could be. We'll let's, have to, let's read on. We'll have to crack on, if you pardon <laughs> the pun, and find out. Right, our opening splash image, very, very striking. Just a Black Condor logo. And a caption tells the story is by... Louis K. Fine. Artwork's gorgeous. The first main image is basically Black Condor. In his familiar costume, black sort of cape, stretched across both arms, black trunks, black boots, and he's in mid-air. Looks like he's punching out someone wearing another almost identical costume, but the colours are paler. Very, very interesting. And there's some sort of industrial situation going on in the background. And an establishing caption reads, The scholarly Senator Tom Wright and the mighty black condor are one and the same. Though this fact is known only to Wright's fiancé's father, Dr. Foster. Now, into the thick of industrial strife, the condor smashes to expose an impersonator. Gosh, right, you got that, listeners? <laughs> There's another little insert panel at a, a nice 45-degree angle, which shows a man with white hair and a brown suit with looks like some money in his hand. Looks very, very proud of himself. Looks like he's in an office with a big window behind him. The caption reads, While in his distant tower office, the political and industrial tyrant Jasper Crow, attired in dictator-like regalia, Gloats over his foul slave-driving profits. This is all very topical, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Okay, so, caption for the first panel on page two. One of Crow's great plants is now a hotbed of violent labour unrest. Yeah, it's a big shot of a factory with chimneys and a railway line and lots of, lots of workers moving around. Panel two is a chap in an orange shirt talking to an older man in a hard hat. The younger man in the orange shirt is holding some notes in his hand, bank notes in his hand, and he's saying, There, look at that script. We got paid with nothing but paper. And only good at Crow's own company store. And the older chap in the white hat and the yellow hard hat says, Yeah, and we ain't going to stand for it any longer. That's pretty poor. Paper, only good at the company's own. That's very modern. Gift vouchers. Yeah, paid in exactly. Gift vouchers. Getting paid in blooming, oh my goodness. Well, caption for the next panel. Among the great machines, angry protests are heard to mount. Beautiful technical drawing here of cogs and wheels and industrial equipment and a couple of lads are there. One guy, also an orange shirt, says, Suckers, that's what we all are. The chap next to him says, Nobody makes a slave out of me. Well, let's throw a scare into Crow right now. Listen. 
I'll tell you how to start, says the man in the orange shirt, looking very, very mad-eyed and focused. But a company spy listens in on the plot. Yes, again, very nice, precise technical drawing of some of the equipment. The guy in green is lingering in the background, and he says, Jasper will be glad to know this. Soon the great machinery grinds to a stop. Small knots of workers begin to converge into one large group. Yep, another man standing up above and amongst the giant cogs, addressing the crowd, saying, Men, now is the time to strike. Are we together? Sure, we're together, says one younger man, and the guy in the orange shirt who looks very like the guy we saw in panel two is saying, Crow's done robbing us into the dirt. But company policemen grimly spring into readiness. Yes, uniformed policemen, two of them grabbing their batons, start to run. The first one says, Warn the men in the yard. First panel of page three, we see the company policemen. Company policemen paid by company vouchers. It's all very modern, isn't yeah. it? Good grief. The foresight is astonishing. We see a bunch of them rushing into action. The guy at the front saying, This fuss is no joke. I'm afraid Crow has dug these guys into a mean state. Yeah, they're not happy about it either. Caption for panel two. And hatred charges the air as the police barge into the surly workers. Yeah, we see the police starting to strike the workers with their batons. The first cop says, You sharp guys only get lumps for your trouble. Another one says, Come on, break it up. And suddenly, like a dark angel of peace, the figure of the black condor is seen on a building. Astonishing panel. It's great that these things are in the public domain. Yeah. That increases everyone's chances of being able to read along with us. This yeah. is amazing. It's almost like a... Sp- it looks like a spotlight, but it's one of the chimneys mm-hmm. behind the silhouetted figure of the black condor as his arms stretched out, showing his sort of wing-like cape. And one of the boys down on the ground spots him and yells, The condor! Look! He's come to help his men! But what's this? Instead, the man who flies zooms down and attacks the downtrodden strikers. Well, that's unexpected. We see the condor flying down and striking the boy in the yellow shirt that was just shouting. One man in an orange shirt watches them in the next panel saying, Why, you double-crossing vulture! The supposedly invincible black condor weakly wilts under heavy blows. Yeah, the man in the orange shirt and the dungarees punches at the condor saying, You ain't our friend at all! And in the final panel of page three, the condor is down on his knees as the guy in the orange shirt and the overalls walks towards him saying, Black condor? Fooey! Yellow condor! Go away! Says the condor, which is all surprising. And the caption for the first panel of page four reads, And the amazed workers see the condor run in cowardly terror. Yep. Condor with his cape up to his face, running away, followed by some of the workers. In panel two, it looks like they're running along the top of one building. The man in the orange shirt yelling, Ha! Why don't you fly? Or ain't that fast enough? The half-stumbling traitor quickly disappears, and the roar of a starting car's engine swells up. Interesting. We cut back to the man in the orange shirt and a couple of his colleagues. The man in the orange shirt says, The yellow fake even had to use a car to escape. An old chap next to him says, We thought he was brave. While the company police finally quell the strike riot with tear gas. Oh my goodness, yes, that's what we see. The workers recoiling in horror and pain as the company policemen strike them with gas. Oh my goodness, a slow dissolve. Next morning in Washington, Senator Tom Wright reads of the riot and shameful Condor exhibition. Now, as an enormous narrative leap here from the Condor from Tom Wright. I actually, we used to have a regular customer from our HMV called Tommy Wright. I suddenly remember. Anyway. Tom Wright looking at this blank newspaper and he's made the narrative leap when he says, So, Crow has created my phony double. Instantly, he begins to strip, revealing the true condor. Yeah, takes off his suit wearing the familiar darker black condor costume underneath. I can't wait. I'll show that fake he plays a dangerous game. And with that, he makes his exit. Then through an open window, with grace that is only genuine, the dark destroyer knifes through the night. Final panel of page four is a gorgeous aerial shot of Black Condor flying over the city, down towards Crow's place. First panel of page five is captioned. Meanwhile, the plotting disgruntled workers hold a strike meeting to lay new plans. Yep, we see one buff lad in a yellow shirt saying, We'll lick Crow, and that flying faker he hired won't help him. A voice from above yells, You mean the Black Condor? The boy in the yellow shirt looks up incredulous, and then we see Black Condor standing in the beams above saying, Stay there, I'll be right down. Then... And we see Condor flying down. He lights beside the boy in a yellow shirt who says, Ha! So it's you again, eh? Didn't you get pounded enough the last time? Why, uh... But Condor cuts him off, saying, Shut up. Caption for the next panel. The Condor easily avoids the vicious swing. Yeah, he ducks down as the boy tries to punch him, but then he comes back with another left uppercut, knocking out the boy in yellow shirt, saying, Here, take a nap, friend. And the caption for the next panel reads, In awe, the men cower in new respects. Yep, see Condor standing, facing up against some of the workers. One guy says, But you're a tool of crows. 
And we'll get you somehow. And obviously that's a reference to the fact that they still think that this Condor is the guy who fought them earlier on and is an employee of their boss. The Condor wheels and... Moves towards an open door and he says to himself in the final panel of page five, That's it. Crow. I'll call on him now. And we arrive at the top of page six. And in a fortified retreat, Jasper Crow glowers like a maniac over his riches. Yes, we see Jasper, all dressed in brown, trousers tucked into his boots. Make of that what you will. He's a weird sort of harness round his, <laughs> from his belt round his chest. I suppose that's what it says at the start about him looking like a, you know, a dictator. He has white hair, glasses, very exaggerated features, and he's on his knees looking in this little box of money, saying, Ha! My empire! And I'll build on those fools. Soon, I won't care if they do strike. I've bled the business's resources. Ha! Suddenly, an ominous shadow falls on the wall. It grows! Yes. Very familiar shadow. We know it's the condor. Jasper gets to his feet. He's lit by a candle, inexplicably, in this panel. Maybe that's why he made all his money. Yeah. Uses candles instead of electricity. A man after my own heart. Jasper gets to his feet and sees the silhouette of the condor in the doorway in front of him, saying, You? I told you. I won't need you till tomorrow. Is that so, Jasper? They leave this room where all the money is kept. Jasper locking the door behind him, saying, Yes, I'm busy. Be at plan number four tomorrow. We'll break that union. Oh, we will, eh? See another little candle up in the alcove. I'm into it. However, while this conversation is going on, the caption for the next panel reads, Spying on the outside is the false condor. He whips out a gun. Yes, we see the false condor looking at, we now know as the real condor and Jasper, through the window caption for the next panel then he's obviously gone inside and sticks the gun in the back of the black condor saying get him up sucker and jasper exclaims the the real condor he's realized that he was not talking to his lackey the caption for the next panel disdainful of his imitator's gun he walks slowly away chuckling in mock irony yes a good shot of the condor smiling he's got his hood up here obviously he was using that as part of his disguise and in the caption for the next panel the stupefied pair spring to life Yes, because all of a sudden, the false condor and Jasper are standing there on their own. False condor exclaims, he, He's disappeared. Where'd he go so quick? But if they had looked into the sky... It's a shot of the black condor flying. And then he alights on a building for the final panel of page six, as the caption reads, Then later, the dread figure is poised before the moon. Yes, take a drink, listeners, because black condor is standing on the roof of a building with the moon, full moon behind him. Fantastic. Hope you're keeping up with all this as you arrive at the top of page seven. Jasper Crow and his second-rate condor mimic ponder this new menace to their plans. Second-rate condor mimic <laughs> supported <laughs> menswear, blah, blah, blah. How many bands have supported menswear today, listeners? A lot. Quite a lot, because we recorded more than one episode today, and it feels like we've made that joke far, far too many times. And we've also recorded three menswear covers. This is true. <laughs> Wait to hear our version of Being of Brave. Being Brave. Yes. yes, Jink, show me a Fanta. It's <laughs> on so my Apple Music favourites mix this week. <laughs> It's the wrong time of year for it. That's a springtime song is being baby. Anyway, Jasper and the condor are standing. The condor actually looks really quite evil here. His Mm -hmm. eyes look hidden dark and scary. And Jasper looks like a real Jasper as he says, I told him about plan number four tomorrow. That means he'll be there somehow. Well, the men hate him because they think he's with you. We'll frame him. Another cracking shot of industrial machinery working Mm. in the next panel. Who was it drew this again? Lou Fine. Lou Fine must have yeah. had some background in that, eh? This is great. There's a caption reading, Next day, again in operation, the great plant number four renews its profit stream into Crow's greedy pockets. Yes, as we say, men at work. Caption for panel three. Men at work supported men's... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they did. Sorry, okay. Anyway. Bent over, feigned labour, the condor peers about furtively. Yes, we see the actual condor in disguise. He has a blue shirt on over his, his costume. A company spy sows words of suspicion. Yeah, a couple of buff-looking chaps with no shirt on but big hats, obviously sweating in the, the foundry. The first one says, Sure, that's Crow's spying bomb. Look, he's afraid to take his shirt off like the rest. Sure, now I see. Workers approach the marked man. And in the next panel, Condor whirls around, sees them coming and says, Why this sneaky business, men? The sneaky businessman sports. <laughs> <laughs> right. In the next panel, the buff shirtless wonder says in response to, to Condor's question, You know why? Why don't you take that shirt off, you yellow crow stool pigeon? Hurls a big metal bar at the Condor. Then, back, back, back. 
The condor is now forced by a hot iron straight to the mouth of a smelting furnace. Yes, the big buff shirtless worker is holding an iron bar which is obviously glowing red hot at the end. He's waving it in front of him, driving Black Condor backwards, saying, Ha! Get Krog to help you now! Think you have me, eh? I'll say we gotcha! You're a crooked sparrow! Don't you wish now you really could fly? With inches separating him from death, the Dark Destroyer coolly sheds his shirt. And indeed, Black Condor starts to disrobe, saying, You wish for me? I'm tired of this horseplay. And indeed, the caption of the first panel of page 8. As the men stare pop-eyed, the Birdman soars up and through an open roof vent. He circles the plant once, twice, then in a screaming dive, he heads for another opening. This is just gorgeous. Again, the Mm. detail from Lou Fine, the caption for panel 3. Soon workers look upwards to behold the awe-inspiring figure. Condor has flown back in and alighted on a steel girder above some of the workers, saying, Listen, men, listen to me. Listen to me, obviously, was a, a top ten hit for the Hollies, who I worked for last Friday. There we go. Buff worker man says, He he really can fly like a bird. In a very moody shot, a side profile of Condor here, where he looks very much like the young John Hart, it must mm, be said. Mm. He's saying, I'm your friend, the real Black Condor. You were fooled before by one who imitated me. My double works for Jasper Crow. I'll take care of him. Caption for panel six. Ever on the alert, again, a company spy views the scene. Yeah, I'm not into these company spies. We see one guy looming and lurking, lit up by the foundries, saying, The the real one. Jasper better know about this. A phone call interrupts a talk between Crow and his false condor. Crow and the false condor in the office. We see him replacing the handset, and Crow says, That devil is in plant four again. What will we do? Says the fake condor. However... A crash, and... Yep, the real condor bursts through the window, saying... You won't do a thing, because I've decided to bring to an end your evil deceptive plots. The final panel of page 8, we see the condor flying, the the false condor and Jasper, up in the air over some buildings, then below. Jasper says, Why you? You can't do this! Take us down this instant, I say! (laughs) Drop down if you wish, Jasper. That's one sight I'd love to see. And then in the first panel of page 9, condor says... As for you, my clumsy image, if you can fly, you'd better begin right now. And with that, he lets go of the false condor. Right, capture for panel two. And on the ground. Yep, we see a couple of workers standing in front of the chimneys. One man in an orange shirt points and says, Look, it's the real condor. He's carrying a man. He's dropped one. In panel three, condor still bearing Jasper says, Now, wouldn't this be an appropriate place to let you fall, Jasper Crow? No, 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 don't. I'll give you anything. I'll... Okay. First of all, I'll just turn you upside down and empty your bulging pockets of their greedy gold squeezed from workers. Indeed, we see Condor tipping Jasper. The caption for the next panel. And the miserly crow is engulfed by currency, which rains down to be snatched by workmen below. Fantastic. See, we see captioning as we see a terrified-looking Jasper, appalled as all the notes and coins fall from his pockets. Gosh. The following day, meek and still trembling, Jasper Crow signs a humane labour contract. Yes, we see Jasper sat at his desk looking very unhappy, but with a pen in hand, signing in a piece of paper, a couple of men look on, a full moon looms through the window, and we see what we presume is the black condor flying past. A slow dissolve. Later, the black condor has returned to the role of Senator Tom Wright. He calls his fiancée, Wendy Foster. Yes, This panel's taken up with two little insert headshots of Tom and Wendy on the phone to each other. Tom saying, I'll be late getting over to dinner, dear. And Wendy replies, Oh, did you read of what that glorious condor did yesterday? No, dear, I've been too busy to see any papers. Because he's been a senator, you see. But anyway, that's us. That's the end. (laughs) The The end. Yeah. Oh my God, he just... Dropped the other (laughs) condor from the sky. (laughs) Well, maybe maybe he can fly. I don't... Well... Well, he did like come down from that tall building. In I'm the, just at the beginning of the story, flicking back um, uh, to that. He might be able to glide. Yeah, a bit. well, he he does, he does. <sighs> he, he flies down and zooms down on the tacks, and then yeah. runs away. And obviously, I think he runs away because he's been struck. He must be able to glide a bit with the cape. Yes, I would hope that he uh. didn't just go <laughs> falling into one of the furnace chimneys and just get. <sighs> oh my goodness, that was brutal. Yeah. Jasper Crow is a recurring villain in the Black Condor series at this point. So, ah, oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. So it is kind of reasonable for him to jump to the conclusion that Jasper Crow is up to no good. Right. I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I felt it was that narrative leap. Yeah. Because, uh-huh. um, hang on, let's, let's flick back. Because Condor says, as it was it when he's got the, the blank newspaper, 
Mm-hmm. So Crow has created my phony double. So obviously, right. Yeah. So he has had run-ins with him previously. Uh-huh. I wonder if Condor suspected he was going to try and do this. Mm. They've done. Yeah, we don't learn anything about who the other Condor is. No, not at all. Um, and obviously it looks just like him as well. Yeah, he doesn't have any lines apart really from get him up, sucker. <laughs> and the men will hate him because he thinks he's with you. We'll, right, so they talk about trying to frame him, but they uh-huh. don't actually get that far. No. Because Condor gets free and speaks to the men himself. Yep. Before Condor then drops the... He saves Jasper, but drops the other guy out of thin air. Mm. Oh my goodness. It's very workers' rights, isn't it? Yeah. For the time, 1941, mm-hmm. this is revolutionary. Mm-hmm. It's very down with the man, isn't it? Yeah, the, the factory and everything and all the... All the workers, it's very Metropolis-like. Yes. You know, it's, it's mm. very, everything's just a cog in a wheel, as it were. By which you mean the Fritz Lang Metropolis. Of course, yes. Not uh-huh. where Superman lives. Yes. But yeah, Gosh. great stuff. I'm kind of stunned. I mean, Jasper obviously established an opening page, so you know, that maybe affirms it. Maybe readers should expect him. I'm going to have to read mm-hmm. some more stories. I want mm. to know what happened. What happened to the other Condor? Did he fall through a dimensional <laughs> portal and end up somewhere else when we write our DC comic? Yeah. What happened to the other Black Condor? And he gained the power of flight as he did so. Mm. That'd be great. Yes. Like what happened Lands to... Lands Earth 3. Yes, exactly. Mm. Oh, actually. Yes. Mm. The Earth 3 Black Condor. Perfect. We're going to see another Black Condor, but not for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Years and years away, probably, well, actually, as the crow flies. As the condor flies. That was, I mean, everything about the, you know, the brutal sort of company police force and yeah. all that. And just, be, just the subjugation of their, their colleagues. I mean, how mm-hmm. how is that all going to be reconciled with a new labour contract? So many questions. And the, the moles that work for Crow as well, that, you know, are mm. instigating mm-hmm. things with the workers. It's really interesting. I mean, I genuinely can't imagine a story like this being done nowadays. No. No, definitely not. It's very political. It's so yeah. political. I, I can see a certain extent it being done, but it'd be like a, I was going to say Vertigo, it'd be a black label book. Sure. It reminds me a little bit of American Carnage, a wee bit, which was a very short-lived but excellent series. I don't know why it reminds me of that, but just it's just the kind of brutality and the feel of it. Maybe a bit maybe a bit like Scalped as well, to a certain extent. Tell me what, what American Carnage was. It rings a bell vaguely. It's a southern political crime thriller. Right. Okay. But it's very good. Okay. But it's horrible, but it's great. Yeah, there's there's <laughs> been a lot of brutality in, in this across both the stories in this episode. Surprisingly, actually, with you know, men being crushed by snakes and Ersat's superhero impersonator has been dropped from a great height to their yeah. possible death. Mm-hmm. I need a bit of a lie down, listeners. I don't know about you. I know. But a second the black condor. I know. Who knew? I didn't. There you go. Until you, until <laughs> until we had the idea, you know, are we yeah. going to do a Road to Freedom Fighters? Yes, okay. Shall I do some digging? Yes, Spear went off and did some digging whilst I swanned about or condored about. And I came back with Stunning. a second black condor. <laughs> I mean, the, I mean, it's it's a weird one. The, there's a, I feel mm. there's a disconnect between the, the depth and quality of the artwork and some of the, the casual violence and yeah. corporate sort of mm-hmm. disregard. It's fascinating. The very cartoony look of Crow being held upside down and everything shaking from his pockets is yes, it's just ridiculous compared but, to the hyper realism yeah. almost of the way the Condor himself is yeah, sort of rendered. Look at exactly the previous panel, bottom left hand corner of page six. Look at him there, the way he's drawn. It's it's stunning. Yeah, one thing mm-hmm. as we often do. I usually ask Ellen episodes. Can you remember when you first encountered Uncle Sam and Black Condor? I think it was. Both at the same time, because I picked up an issue of the 70s Freedom Fighter series right. from the Glasgow Barras. Right. They used to have a place that had piles and piles of comics with like the prices written in pencil on the back cover sure. there. And I was trying to get as much DC knowledge as possible at that time. Right. I thought, I have never seen this series before. What is this? Who are these people? I do not know any of them. I think it was the one with the roller coaster on the cover. Yeah, I think you said that last week. Yeah. Uh-huh. So yeah. I think that was, yeah, I think it was the first one. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, again, Similar, I think it, it was probably in the pages of All Star Squadron. I remember yeah. a really, they both had really good Uncle Sam Black Condor, both had really good issues in Secret Origins. Uh-huh. Yeah. Black Condor co starring the cover with Jonah Hex. I know. And Uncle Sam with The Guardian. Mm. I seem to remember, I think, the, I think the Sam story was drawn by Murphy Anderson. I could be wrong. Lovely. But they were both both really, really good. And I remember that there was a sort of Roy couldn't help himself with the, the secret origins for, for Black Condor and that he kind of introduced a glowing green meteorite to explain why. Of course. Why he could fly. And then there's that whole thing, of course, about how Black Condor himself mm-hmm. isn't the real Tommy Wright. He's not, no. He comes across him being assassinated and just sort of... Takes on his takes identity. On, yeah, yeah, because they're identical, which is another fascinating <laughs> aspect of it all. I mean... Maybe this fake Black Condor is the brother of the guy who was... Of, of, of Tommy the, Wright. Of the real Tom Wright. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's a bit of an extrapolation if you ask me, but who knows? 
There was another Black Condor who popped up in the early 90s, was a member of the Justice League for a brief while. Yeah. Went on to be used in Starman, went on to be a member of Primal Force. So we'll mm-hmm. probably put some covers up of him at some point mm-hmm. over the next few weeks, I think. And then there's a subsequent Black Condor after that. Because he was bumped off, and then you had... I know, he was killed. Was it Infinite Crisis, I think? Yeah, where, oh, oh, yeah. Raid, don't start me. I know. Unnecessary, and then basically all replaced instantly. Yeah, by much. other versions, you know, yeah. to no one's satisfaction, really. <laughs> but, yeah. You know, sometimes Jeff Johns, I agree with the people that criticise you. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so <laughs> so this week, as we say, listeners, that's, as you always say, that's been Uncle Sam and Black Condor. Next week, we will meet the Ray... Phantom Lady and Dollman. How exciting. Can't wait, actually. Can't wait. So what do you think about the stories we've covered so far? Are you anticipating the ones that are due up? Let us know. You can email us at theearthtopodcast at gmail.com. Make sure you follow us on social media, because as I said, I'll be putting up as much of this as I can on our Facebook page. And David will be adding a lot to Instagram as well as Twitter. So on Facebook and Instagram, we're at the Earth 2 Podcast and at Twitter, at podcast underscore Earth 2. Yes, if you're enjoying our podcast, please go to wherever as you receive them and give a positive review. I'm told such things are good for our visibility and etc. And as, as we've said in the past, you know, if you're enjoying what we're doing, tell your pals, spread the word. Mm-hmm. And we'll be back next week with episode two, or is it technically episode three of the Road to the Freedom Fighters. <laughs> Depends if you count human bombs. Let's... let's... Human bombs is its one thing, I think. Yes, yes, yes. So there we are. On that note, on that note, played on a dark fiddle by a scary man <laughs> who had his hands transplanted. On that note, it's making those monkeys dance. Yes, I've been Peter. I've been David. Bye. <laughs> See you next time on the Earth <laughs> Two Podcast. <laughs> Waving for the benefit of our YouTube viewers. Transmatter cube activated. Return coordinates set for Earth Prime. And indeed, Black Condor starts to disrobe, saying, "You wish for me." I'm tired of this foreplay. It's not what he says. (laughs) I find that inappropriate and rude. (laughs) You're not allowed to. You're not allowed to frown at Harry Enfield after coming out with that. You're dirty-minded, so and so. Outtakes, City, New Jersey. Oh, Earth Two podcast nights.